Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening and welcome into another episode of the Believe in Monsters podcast brought to you by your favorite sponsor here. And we are proudly uh, presented on the Believe Network. It's been a long day watching baseball for me. Uh, Welcome into the Believe in Monsters podcast. We've got a lot of uh, fun topics, fun Bears topics to get into this week. Uh, But of course, uh, I want to send a big thank you to Luke for setting up this week's guest. We uh, found a very unique guest with a unique story and looking forward to getting into that with with our friend with our newest friend uh, on on the show so thank you guys for jumping in and joining us on the believe in monsters podcast you can find us on facebook twitter and youtube tonight uh feel free to like and share and subscribe to all that good stuff and then if you miss us live you can follow us find us on spotify and on twitter on apple music as well as luke and the, our friends at the Believe Network have got us all hooked up to all those great services as well. So we've got a lot to get uh, Bears topics to get into tonight. We are going to uh, talk with our newest friend, Daniel Kelly, uh, and he's going to tell us about the scouting world, kind of his story, uh, the, the route, unique route of his story. And I will hear some of his perspectives on our current Chicago Bears players, the directions that our franchise is going into. Uh, we've got a couple other ancillary bear stories on the docket tonight as well. Jalen Johnson, uh, more, more, more Jalen Johnson news with him, him and coach Matt Eberflus, maybe not seeing eye to eye or are they, is it a big deal? And some rumors as well flying around about some of our, one of our uh, better defensive players. We'll get into that uh, this evening. Uh, but before we kind of jump on into it with Daniel Kelly, Lucas, uh, thank you so much for jumping for for hooking us up with our with our uh, guests this evening. How are you doing? You got a new background. Uh, if, if the folks are watching on you know, on YouTube and uh, Facebook and Twitter, you can check out Luke's new new background. Uh, sweet man, how are you doing today, dude? I'm doing great. I had to uh, I had to get this background because I did a uh, live appearance on a uh, another. Uh, YouTube Bear Show, uh, which should be out this week. Hopefully, I was talking about Zachary Thomas. No, it was just a one-off appearance. Uh, talking about Zachary Thomas after my little thread I had last week, so um, caught some steam there, and uh, yeah, just joined a Bear Show to go talk about it. Um, Chris, how you doing, man? Good. Did you at least pump the podcast, bro? Huh? I did. Yeah. No, it's uh, it'll be it'll be up there with a nice little banner. Um, are at my handle, so way to hopefully go. I'll be able to way get to some, go, uh, Lucas. some good traction. I, it, Excellent it, job. No, yes. Well, that thread no was publicity fantastic. is bad publicity. Right. What? Well, let's let's pump the brakes on that one, friend. Uh, yeah. So I'm doing good. It's uh, good to see you guys again. Uh, talk a little Bears football. Super excited to talk with Daniel tonight. Uh, can't wait to get into this. Uh, Bears news lately has not been fun. Uh, we've been bitching and moaning that there wasn't enough to talk about, and now there's enough to talk about that Bears Twitter is uh, once again on edge and freaking out about some very small things, uh, in my opinion, and then also one very big thing that uh, we will get into later. But uh, first and foremost, Lucas, do you want to introduce our guest and let him intro himself? 
Absolutely. So our guest tonight is uh, Daniel Kelly. He was a former scout for the New York Jets. And uh, as Joe alluded to, he has a very unique story. Um, I think Chris and I kind of, we were talking before the show and we said we both really relate to this. But uh, Daniel, why don't you say hello, introduce yourself. Um, you know, feel free to plug your, your Twitter, your podcast, whatever your writing material is. So uh, our listeners can, uh, you know, find you and, and your great work that you put out. Hey, thank you, Lucas, so much. And thank you, Chris. And thank you, Joe, for having me on the show tonight. Really excited to be with you guys. Uh, sorry, my, my um, um, internet's a little bit uh, shaky down here uh, in Key West, Florida. I'm in the, like I told you guys before we went on the air, I'm, I'm closer to uh, Cuba than I am to a Walmart. So if I go off the air, <laughs> that's, that's the reason why. But um, absolutely, you can find me uh, anywhere. Uh, if you just type in Daniel Kelly, New York Jets, NFL Scout on Google, you can find pages and pages of material out there. Um, I'm at my Twitter is at Daniel Kelly Book. Um, and um, I also have a new YouTube channel I started, uh, former NFL scout Daniel Kelly. And uh, so you can find me in a variety of places. And my book is Whatever It Takes. And you can find that at whateverittakesbook.com. And also wherever books are sold online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. But yeah, no, it's, it's uh, great to be on the show tonight. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota. I wasn't too far away from Chicago growing up. Um, I think some of the same snow kind of blew through both areas, probably in snowdrifts outside my house, uh, <laughs> so where I grew up. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I grew up uh, as a, a huge um, uh, football fan, or a fanatical Redskins fan, actually, uh, in, in Minnesota. Loved the game, uh, loved it so much that uh, basically that's all I wanted to do when I grew up is, is be in the NFL and then, uh, I started when I was about eight years old, uh, watching uh, back when John Riggins was running the ball in Super Bowl 17, and uh, that that kind of hooked me into it. And then I was so so fanatical about it that the next year when Washington lost against Oakland, I threw up and missed three days of school when I was nine years old. Uh, so I was <laughs> so I still have nightmares about Jack Squirek uh, intercepting that pass uh, from Joe Theismann before halftime. But uh, you know, I just grew up with this just tremendous passion. It's all I could do is eat, breathe, and live Washington Redskins football. It's all I wanted to be. Uh, but I uh, wanted to play linebacker at Penn State. But um, at about 5'11", 130 pounds, never quite got big enough for that. And uh, so I, <laughs> I was, I don't know if you guys remember the uh, Visa commercial a few years back with the guy running, playing football by himself uh, in the woods. Uh, that was me. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to run in the trees and stuff with my football pads on, pretend to get tackled. I had some friends, actually, some nearby neighbors that were huge Chicago Bears fans. Uh, so I heard a lot about Walter Payton and the fridge and, and Jim McMahon and the Super Bowl shuffle growing up and uh, played a lot of football in the neighborhood and that with those kids. And, uh, you know, just really had this passion. I mean, I, I my, my my bedroom was a Redskins shrine. I had every every game on video, on a VHS tape. Um, I, I, I started the uh, NFL Network before it started. I mean, the whole offseason, I'd go back and watch these uh, VHS tapes uh, during the offseason, throw my homework at the garbage can and go watch the games. <laughs> and uh, my mom would be like, in March, she'd be like, what are you doing in there? Why, why, why are you screaming? I'm like, the game's on. She goes, you, you know who won? I'm like, that, that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> uh, you know, so I just had this tremendous passion. You know, and, and I, I wondered, you know, I kind of dabbled a little bit with coaching, you know, as the years went on. Uh, when I was 17, I, I, of course, exchanged letters with a bunch of the different uh, Redskins players and with Coach Joe Gibbs. And, and uh, matter of fact, he used to carry one of my letters in his briefcase, he told me. And I designed a play when I was 17 years old. Uh, the 
for Coach Gibbs, and he actually used it in a um, uh, preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it worked for a touchdown. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I, I was saying a sports bar. <laughs> I was awesome. saying I was saying a sports bar. Like that's my play. And these guys in the bar having a beer. Like, yeah, sure, right, kid. What, um, right. What, what was yeah. the play? We got to ask you that. What was the well, play? I'll stop the, right there the, first. Yeah, 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 for sure. The play was actually Joe Gibbs. Uh, his his bread and butter play back then, as you guys may remember, um, in our listeners was the counter gap or the counter tray series. Uh, that's what he always ran with, you know, with that, that backside guard and tackle pulling with the counter step of John Riggins or George Rogers or, you know, whoever was a running back at the time, Ernest Spiner were taking that counter step one way and then coming back the other way. Well, what I did is I designed a play because as soon as defenses read that, 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 you know, that action with the counter step, the safeties would suck up and the linebackers would take that counter step. And that was the whole philosophy of the play. So what I suggested was that Joe Gibbs go play action off the counter gap and actually roll the quarterback out to the left and drag Ricky Sanders slot backside post uh, for a touchdown because the safety would already be coming up to play run support. Well, sure enough, Ricky Sanders motion right before the play. He went into the slot on the left side. He shot up the field, went into the post, and boom, a big touchdown pass um, from, from Mark Rippon, actually. Uh, and they, uh, they, they hit a touchdown. I was so stoked. And matter of fact, the uh, letter from Joe Gibbs uh, to me uh, appears in my book, Whatever It Takes, uh, in response to that that play. So I'm not just making this stuff up. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, man. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was, it was uh, my kind of claim to fame and stuff. And uh, and I didn't like the Minnesota Vikings at all. So I, I hope that you Bears fans out there watching and listening will love me even more. Uh, I mean, I, I was a guy. I was a guy. I mean, my whole class in high school loved the Minnesota Vikings and they hated the Washington Redskins. I mean, the Redskins could win the Super Bowl and they'd be like, they suck, you know. And so, so I, I got my friends back. I actually was able to. I, I guess I'm. It's past the statute of limitations, so I could tell the story. Um, I actually changed the Minnesota Vikings night recording message when I was 17. And uh, on the uh, matter of fact, the story made Sports Illustrated with uh, Michael Jordan on the cover. It's called Offensive Line. And I called in. I was just kind of bored one day after school. And I called the Vikings line and I started hitting all these different numbers and everything. And they said, you know, uh, please enter your password. And so I started entering playing with a bunch of different passwords. And Mike Lynn was a general manager at the time. And I always knew he was pretty arrogant, egotistical. So I looked up when his birthday was in a Vikings media guide I had. And I entered his birthday backwards. And it said, one moment, please. I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I, I hung up and I made a little script. I made a little script, right? I, and, and I worked out a little bit. And then I called back and it says, you know, uh, the change in that recording message, press one. And so I beep, you know, I press one. And it says, so I started. I, and so I... I got it right where I wanted it, and I hated the Minnesota Vikings, right? I said, thank you for calling the Minnesota Vikings. You've reached the most Ron stinkingest team in the history of mankind. You know, I mean, I started, I started this whole thing, right? I said, if you want to talk to Jerry Burns, he's on the 19th hole right now. And, and Tommy Kramer's beating somebody up at Red Lobster. I mean, I, I would just I, – I mean, I had, this thing, I had this thing worked out to a science, guys, right? And so, so once I got it right where I wanted, then what I did is I hung up the phone, okay, and then I called the ABC uh, Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota, the, the uh, sports desk, Joe Schmidt, who's a sports anchor, and I said, he answered the phone, he goes, Joe Schmidt, sports desk, how may I help you? And I said, you may want to call the Vikings number, something's going on over there, click. And uh, the next morning, I walked up to the school bus, and on the uh, local uh, classic rock station, KQRS, 
there i walked to the bus and there's my voice in the background all the kids are like that's you i'm like i don't know what you're talking about right <laughs> the new news the new news had like the you know like the 911 calls and I, they, they, they with the screen they said vikings officials are still baffled and somebody called in a mail falsetto voice and i'm my parents are like Everybody knew it was me, but I never said anything, and it made Sports Illustrated everything. So I didn't like the Vikings at all growing up, guys. Uh, so, so I was. So hopefully, Bears fans can appreciate that. Uh, we might need you to do that for the uh, Green Bay Packers if you could change their their voice line there. That'd be awesome. That's Absolutely, I, I already got enough Christian Watson fans out there uh, coming after me as it is with the uh, Packers. So that's uh, nothing. Nothing like a guy that uh, that can hit the edge in in, in uh, North Dakota State. Uh, looks like he runs about a four six five on on the jet sweep play against uh, FCS competition. I think Green Bay's in for a rude awakening with that one. Ooh, that's I can already. We all I like. I can tell Christian our listeners Watson. are going to love you, man. No, we. <laughs> hate, I mean, Christian Watson was great pre-draft, and then he went to the wrong squad, and now he's oh, terrible. Terrible. See, there what? you go. There you go. So everybody, <laughs> join in with me. Let's all sing from the same same book of music. Yeah, that's there we go. There we go. Oh, Daniel, already starting with two, with a couple of great stories with your background. I, I, that, that's awesome. Uh, what can you just? Uh, you, you got into scouting, obviously, and, and you, your story can be read pretty much anyway. Uh, a lot of places online you got into scouting basically by writing uh writing your own scout scouting report of you know 75 100 100 page scouting report that you sent mm-hmm. out to several different uh all 32 different uh, 32 franchises uh but you only heard you heard back from a couple of them i, I want to know just kind of uh the balls, honestly, that it took to send out your work to, to the NFL franchises at, at the time, and then the perseverance, really, when when you when you heard back from uh, you, you heard back from one of the fran- oh I, I read it one of the franchises, but they they didn't really take oh the Saints the Saints and, and they didn't really they didn't really take on uh, they didn't agree with one of your assessments, and so kind of nothing really came about it. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just kind of uh, tell us one the, the the balls that it took to kind of send your work out to all all, all the teams, and then. The the perseverance that it took to stick with it after the the first team uh, kind of turned you down a little bit. Absolutely, Joe. Those are some great questions. I'll be happy to. Um, you know, I, I think my life's philosophy was forged by Joe Gibbs uh, back in Super Bowl 17. Um, you know, the whole game came down the fourth and one. I was a little kid, eight years old, wearing pajamas with feet in them with a little Reagan's uh, T-shirt over the top. My grandma got me from Arizona. And, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of coaches would have punted on that play. But, uh, you know, and, and Joe Gibbs was a nobody at that point. Nobody knew who he was. And he was standing across the field from, it was like a Davy and Goliath type of story you stand across the field from Don Shula and you know he looks at you know Gibbs looks at Joe Bugle the offensive line coach is how the story is told by NFL films and he says you know it's fourth and one he goes what do you think Bugs and Joe Bugle the offensive line coach turns to Joe Gibbs and says hey you know I like our chances to get you know with John Riggins against any any safety in the league you know on, the, on this on this run play 70 chip and and so they send it in and the rest is history and, and Riggins ran for that touchdown uh run and uh that really kind of made an impression on a young boy's heart being me at that time and then to answer your question joe that that's kind of like became my life's philosophy is that uh, you know what um uh, I'm, I'm not punting you know i'm going for this and um you know and so so what i did is you know when it came time i you know my i grew up uh, my dad you know was was on, on my 
my tail all the time. And uh, he was the guy that said, you know, you're never going to become an NFL scout. I started telling, you know, when I was 17, I started telling kids I was going to be an NFL scout. My dad was like, you know, you're not going to do that. And, you know, it's just, and of course, all the kids in high school, they wrote my yearbook, Redskins suck, you'll never be a scout, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and so I, I was really de- determined. Um, went through some really, I interned with Tony Dungy when I was 21 at the Vikings. And, um, he, you know, he left for Tampa Bay. I went back to the real world selling curb vacuum cleaners and stuff door to door and, and uh, went through a lot of hard knocks, um, went through a serious breakup at the time. Uh, we got lost everything. And I want our listeners to grab a hold of this is that, you know, my last name's not Lombardi or Belichick or something. I mean, I, I was, you know, had to had my, I was evicted from my apartment at 21. I, I my, my truck was repossessed. I lost everything. I was sleeping on a buddy's couch and, and, uh, you know, I just uh, went through a lot of hard times and I was at uh, 24 years old and I found myself working at Bank American Mortgage. And, you know, the book you're talking about, Joe, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, I'm sitting in this, this real estate, you know, this boring to me, it was boring, this this meeting about real estate law. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself this meeting, what am I doing here? You know, my, my dream is to be an NFL scout. You know, it's 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 better to go for it and not get it than to wonder what always could have been. Yeah. I saw these thoughts, guys, start going through my mind at the time. You know, hey, I got a little satellite dish. I watch all the Redskins games on, right? I got the little dish. I, I can stop at Target and, and buy some pens and paper, and, and I can start recording the games. I can subscribe to, you know, the, the college t- ticket off of, um, you know, off DirecTV. And so I did that. And uh, the next seven months just turned into be me working in Bank America as a loan officer all day, every day full-time and then me moonlighting as a scout all night every night i was getting 15 20 hours of sleep a week and even my best friend joe you know you mentioned you know my best friend who i grew up in, in school with you know he called me he got really irritated one night because he asked me if i could go out and do something i'm like listen i'm on a tight schedule i gotta look at tennessee or whatever that night you know and and, and he's like hey listen what are you gonna do when nothing happens you do all this stuff and nothing happens i fired back and i said listen man i said it's gonna happen i will be in the nfl war room next year and so it's just it's just that, that drive and that determination it was like i put everything i had into it and to make that book it cost me twenty three hundred dollars to get my draft book self-published which was every dime i had plus next month's rent um i put everything into it i push all my chips on the table and, and i went joe gibbs style with it i said you know what i said this is it i said i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna do this and i put everything into it and sent out three copies of my 350 page nfl uh, you know draft report 1998 draft report that was self-published i had every book uh, personalized for the head coach gm and director of player personnel spent another 1300 dollars in credit to send it out overnight mail to every team i made my whole chevy blazer at the time which is filled with these books boxed up and the pictures are online in my book and and i just sent them out everywhere no guarantee and like you talked about, Joe, the first, I mean, I got letters back from the who's who of the NFL. I mean, everybody wrote me letters, you know, uh, you know, it was incredible. Bill Polian was sending me a letter, uh, all these different people, uh, you know, the, around the league. And all of a sudden the phone rings and all my buddies at the bank are like, did anything happen yet? And did anything at all? So my, my pager, right, I'm dating myself. My pager goes off and says, please call the New Orleans Saints and Bruce Lungerman, uh, college scouting director at this number. And my buddies are like, what happened? I said, the Saints are calling me. So we all raced. Picture this at Bank America. I go into the conference room. All my buddies are right stand outside there, right with their ear to the door. I call and Bruce Lerman, the college scouting director of the Saints, picks up the phone and uh, he says, hey, listen, and this is kind of interesting for Bears fans because he said, because he goes, uh, Coach Ditka really likes your book. I was like, wow, okay. I was like, I was just standing there. He's like, now listen, a lot of teams are be calling for you. But just remember, we were the first ones to call you. We have the college, you know, like the Big Ten uh, scouting position open. And we just want to let you know that we're thinking about you. And it's something that, you know, we may be in contact. I'm like, 
oh wow i'm going to new orleans i came out of that thing all my buddies are like celebrating everyone's like trying to talk to customers on the phone all my buddies are screaming they're like like oh my gosh you're going to new orleans right and, right. and, 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 and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, any day now, what, like two weeks went by, nothing happened. Rejection letters kept coming in the mail. Bruce Larman calls me back. All my buddies run to the Oregon bank. And he, and he says, listen, uh, one of our senior scouts looked at your, at your book and disagreed with some of your, your evaluations. And I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but we're not going to be able to move forward with any kind of like interview or job offering. And like, I just stood there like frozen phone up to my ear, like, okay, thank you, sir. Yep. You know, it's just like, I was like, shoot, I didn't, I didn't get it. And my buddy at the bank, right, says to me, now picture this. My buddy at the bank says, another coach with as much passion as Mike Ditka is going to call you. And I was like, sure, sure. He goes, no, I'm serious. He, he's going to. Well, two days later, my pager went off again, and it was New York Jets and, and Scapioli and uh, Bill Parcell's son-in-law. And, um, and, and he says, please call, you know, the number on there, um, 516-560, um, I think it was 8280 from memory. And, uh, and, and so I called the number. It's no longer his number, so don't try it. Um, but I'm, gonna talk to, <laughs> I'm, ta I'm talking to our listeners. I know you guys went, but, you know, there's always those people out there dialed a dial number it'll uh, be some grandma nobody it won't be anybody yeah absolutely be like, hi it's scott pioli there she'd be like hello you know, <laughs> so, but, but but uh you know i was like uh and i didn't even know how to pronounce uh, scott pioli's last name to be honest with you guys i, I had to call the jets uh, receptionist first i said is there who's your director of pro scouting she goes scott pioli i didn't know how to pronounce his name so i called back a second time got him on the phone and he's like listen uh bill got your book being bill parcells and uh, he really liked it. And, um, you know, we got a not a high paying position, but it's a, it's a pro pro personnel assistant position, uh, get you in the door type of position. Is that something you think you might be interested? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, we're going to fax over a personality profile test. You'd fill that out, get back to us. Well, I didn't hear anything back from the Jets for like another week. And I didn't, but it started going to my mind, guys. I don't have a suit for this interview, right? I'm like, I, I don't have a suit, right? If I, do get a call so i'm out at the mall of america at like like a half hour before closing on a sunday and my pager goes off and says please call scott pioli and i and i call back and, and, and he answers the phone he goes listen bill wants to move forward with you and he goes when can you be out here and i said um i i can get probably next tuesday off a week from a week you know like like eight days from he goes no bill doesn't want to wait that long and i said well i could get tomorrow off he goes great i'll have an e-ticket waiting for you in the minneapolis airport we can't wait to see you and have dinner with you tomorrow night thank you and all of a sudden i'm like Oh, shoot. And the doors are like half down, uh, down on the department stores. I made a beeline into a men's clothing store. I said, I, I hope you guys like football. And they're like, we love it. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like, let me tell you something. I'm going for the biggest interview of my life. I need your help. So they stayed over and they, they got me suited up and everything. Flew out to New York the next day for a, just an amazing marathon two-day interview with the who's who of the, of the New York Jets. It, it was incredible. Yeah, you mentioned what Ooh. Parcells and Belichick and Pioli and just... Like you said, the who's who of the it, um, that's that's it was that's crazy. What a, what a what an awesome it was crazy guys. I, yeah, thank you. It was nuts. When I walked in the door really quickly, I mean, walking down that hallway as you're mentioning, uh, Chris, you know, just you know, the first person I interviewed was Dick Haley, who was the architect of the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty in the seventies. I mean, I walked down the hallway. There's Romeo Cornell and Eric Mangini and Al Groh and and Bilicek and Parcells and Dan Henning and you know Mike Tannenbaum and Scott Pioli. It's just it was just it was just nuts. It was just like door after door of just like yeah, I know that name. Charlie Weiss was there. Um, you know, Bill Muir. I mean, it was just it was it was uh, Mike Sweatman. It was it was crazy. So, like, of those guys, Daniel, who, who, like, in your time with the Jets, who do you think you 
kind of learned the most from? Who'd you get the most time with and who'd you, who'd you, you know, kind of absorb the most knowledge from in that experience? I would say uh, Scott Pioli. Uh, he was my direct report. Um, I learned a lot from him. He was Belichick's right-hand man the two years we worked together. And, and that, that pro scouting department I worked in that, that Scott Overson orchestrated ran like a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was just like it was, everything was so meticulous. Um, it, everything was just – I learned so much about organization. And, and you know, I, I, you know I, if I had make a mistake, I'd downplay, and Scott would be like, hey, you, you, got, you, put, the, you put the wrong third-string quarterback on, on the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, it, it's not the third string. He's a fourth string. And I'm like, okay, Scott. He's like, listen, you need to get this stuff right. You need to do this because, you know, and Bill Parcells would come down on Scott the other direction the same way because Parcells had the same run our building, one wrong, all wrong. You know, so so like like I became very focused and and really, you know, paying attention to all the details a lot more. I really honed in a lot more of the organization of things. I learned so much from Scott Pioli about organization and how to organize the department and just everything that goes into that whole process. And, and everything has its place and everything's equally important and, and everybody has a role, you know, kind of like Billichek talked about in New England, you know, know your role. And, you know, I learned a lot about that, but Scott was, I learned a lot from him. I, I learned a lot from everybody. Um, I mean, it was just a privilege to be around all those guys. Uh, you know, everybody I learned something major from. Well, Pioli has ties to current Bears GM, uh, Ryan Pohl. So we definitely you know, know Scott Pioli and are aware of his, his work there. So that's yeah, great, awesome, great, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was, it was a privilege to work in his department. And you, you know, I think I read that you want to get back into scouting. Obviously you, you know, you're doing your, you know, online work. Now you're writing for uh, the jets, the lions and whatnot. Are you, do you want to get back into the, the NFL and the scouting world and kind of like, what's that look like for you? Absolutely. I do. I, I, I dream of a second chance. I mean, it was, you know, when I got in, I, I never thought I'd go out. I mean, all I ever wanted to do in my life was be in the NFL. So once I got hired when I was 24, I was just like, wow, I can see this going straight to becoming an NFL GM. And, and like, like I, I didn't really know what to do with myself once I was out after four seasons. I mean, I, I you know, just, you know, jumped around to different jobs and, you know, didn't really know. Um, you know, in 2006, I had a chance to become, I thought I had a chance to become the assistant pro scouting director with the Arizona Cardinals. That fell through uh, 2011 came face to face with Andy Reid and the NFL scouting combine that almost happened. I almost ended up getting hired by coach Reed that fell through at the last second. 2017, I was in touch with uh, Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, and he wrote me a letter personally asking me for my ideas. And then uh, that nothing materialized with that. Then 2019 was probably the closest I got when uh, Bruce Allen, the uh, former president of the Washington Redskins called me and uh, got a hold of my book and said, uh, I want to fly you out here and sit down with you and get your ideas on what you think we should do. And I'm like, is this a prank? I'm thinking to myself, this is one of my friends. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like that guy, uh, that, that, that uh, offensive guard uh, strange that the uh, Patriots took. He thought his buddies were pranking him when he got the draft. Call. <laughs> that, that's what, that's what I thought. That's what I thought when Bruce Allen called me. Well, Mr. Allen flew me out there and uh, Daniel Snyder paid for me to come out there. And they, I mean, they, they put me up at a, at a box. I mean, they, they, Bruce Allen sat down with me an hour and a half in his hotel room and said, listen, you know, I really, you know, I really like you. Um, you know, it's just a matter of if it's going to be a position in coaching or scouting and you know i i just 
you know, I just, we had a really open conversation. He's like, listen, I'll be in contact at the end of the hour and a half. And, you know, as soon as the season ends, we can, we can see what we're going to go with. And, you know, and I was just like, I left the room. I was like, wow, this is happening. And in the next four months, I, I, I spent all my time with, you know, making advanced scouting reports and sending them to him. And then Black Monday came and that's how I ended up in Key West. Mm. So real close, real close. Almost like Kevin Dyson at the uh, one yard line uh, that one Super Bowl. I just, yeah. yeah, I've never come, I've never come closer, just that close. You know, it's just like, woo, it's just the chains came out and they said, nah, missed it by a little bit. So I, I would love to, to answer your question. I, I would love to. As a matter of fact, I saw Shad Khan's boat down there, his yacht. Uh, you know, I see those guys from time to time come through town. And, you know, if I ever got another chance, I, I would absolutely love to do, to do the scouting thing. And I, I love the game and, and uh, I love grinding film. I mean, I could watch film for 12 hours and it feels like 10 minutes. For sure, man. This is that good stuff, dude. Um, so you. tell us, you know, Daniel, you've been doing, you were doing the scouting thing. You've been doing the scouting things, you know, for, for quite a while now, since you were 17 mm-hmm. years old. Tell us some about some of the, either your, your biggest hits, your biggest misses, some of the guys you loved scouting and you were like, yeah, man, this is, this is it. And it, and it worked out. And then some of the ones where you were like, oh man, this guy's going to be awesome. And it just, it didn't work out so well. That's a great question. Now you're making me go through my mind, like all these thousands of players. <laughs> oh, let me see. Biggest hits, biggest hits. Let's see. Um, well, you know, it was it was interesting, you know, being being with the Jets. I, I think that the thing to stand out the most is, is not the players that Jets, you know, it's the guys. I didn't like some of the guys. I guess it's a funny part of the story. When I when I went in for my interview, in fact, with the uh, Jets, uh, my, my biggest draft bust that year was Dorian Booz. Uh, who was the uh, defensive end out of Washington State, and, um, and 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 I had him rated as an undraftable reject um, in my draft book, and and the Jets actually used their top draft pick that year, number two, <laughs> in the second round pick. So picture this, picture this, right? I walk into the interview. <laughs> yeah, this is funny, right? It's in my draft book too, right? So I walk into my interview. I never thought the Jets would hire me after this, right? Because I walked into my interview. And I sat down with Dick Haley, the guy, the architect of the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty. I mean, the guy that drafted Mean Joe Green, Terry Bradshaw, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, all these guys, right? And, and so his book's laying open on his table in, in his office, and it's open to Dorian Booz's, uh, my, my draft report on him. And, and he said, so, you know, he kind of, you know, wound up a little soft talk and, hey, how you doing type of stuff. And he goes, so what, tell me, what do you think about Dorian? I'm like, well, and he sent back, you know, 40 years in the NFL, his big Super Bowl rock on his hand for the Steelers. And, you know, he's, he just got done telling me about being Joe Green and his hand size and the stuff in the interview. And, and I said, well, you know, Dorian, I said, I think he just is pretty soft. And, you know, Mr. Haley, who's Todd Haley's dad, you know, sat there with his salt and pepper hair with the glasses down on his nose, all the suit tie and everything. And he just kind of shook his head and he goes, well, tell me why. And. And I said, well, I said, I, I just feel like he, he doesn't have heart. He's really soft at the point of attack. I, I think he took plays off. I think he struggles to win the edge. And he just shook his head. He goes, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll see. And, and Dorian ended up being the biggest frustration for Bill Parcells at the time the Bill was there. And uh, he was a boss. So that was my biggest hit, uh, per se. Um, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, the Jets didn't sign anybody that I wanted them to sign. Um, I really wanted them to sign a backup quarterback after the 98 season because I'm like, you know, growing up watching Joe Gibbs, we got to have two good quarterbacks in here uh, in case something happens. If any test of Bernie, uh, we didn't. Vinny went down and the rest is history. And Parcells was, uh, you know, quoting uh, the man in the mirror at his uh, resignation speech after the 99 season. And so it wasn't really, uh, you know, the guys that didn't bring in that I wanted them to sign. But uh, through the years, 
Uh, probably my biggest miss that all my NFL cronies and buddies uh, still tease me about to this day is I had uh, Ryan Leaf uh, rated as my top quarterback in 98. Uh, and I had Peyton Manning ranked fourth, uh, which was an interesting one uh, that season because I did not like Peyton Manning at all against Arkansas. And I let everybody know that in, in my interview. Stumble and, and I, crumble. Yeah, yeah. And I loved, I loved Leaf. I loved his arm strength, everything else. The thing I did not know, know about Leaf is that he ballooned up and put about 30, 40 pounds on the offseason and went boating too much and all that good stuff. But I didn't feel bad because uh, the, who I feel is the greatest GM in NFL history, who I learned from uh, studying growing up, Bobby Bathard grafted him with the Chargers. So I didn't feel too bad, but uh, yeah. You know, and and I think that, you know, recently, more recently in, in the years, I think that, uh, you know, some things to some players that I'm really, you know, proud of, um, you know, I, I think the Mac Jones thing was a big one last year, uh, pre-draft, I put on online that I felt he was going to go to the Patriots, he ended up going to the Patriots, I took a lot of heat for that. Um, you know, I'm the only voice in America that had uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance uh, rated as bust uh, coming out. Um, and I put a 90% bust rate on Trevor Lawrence, uh, which I took a lot of heat for. And um, told everybody that I'd rather have Kyle Trask. So we'll see how that one works out. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so those are some of the you know, more recent ones that stand out. Um, you know, but there's, there's a lot of guys that, that go through my mind when you say that. All right, I got one more, and then we're going to tie it into the Bears. Uh, so this is going to be fun. Who would you have in the 2017 QB rankings? <laughs> I, I didn't actually. I didn't. I didn't have that one because you know it, what happened is I went through a couple few years there, some really some some personal um, great difficulty, uh, family situations and that. So I kind of got away from it for a few years, and then I just got back into it over the last about three years now. So I didn't. I didn't have that draft class done. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, my little, my little. It's boy, a good. It's a good. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. That's. I'm sorry to hear that, Daniel. That's that's tough, but it's probably good for for Joe's heart because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't want to hear about how Mitchell wasn't the uh, wasn't the top guy. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry to kill the punchline. I really am. <laughs> ah, you're good, buddy. You're good. Um. So, what did you think of the 2022 Bears draft class? This last draft class. Well, you know, like re, re refresh my mind in my memory here. The, uh, the names of the guys I know, I, I love the cornerback. Um, I love, I love him. Kyler a lot. Gordon. Yeah. Kyler I love Gordon. Kyler Gordon a lot. He was my CB two in the draft. Um, I love him a lot next to uh, sauce Gardner. Um, I felt, uh, I felt Gordon was a guy that just, I mean, he, he can make a living just on being on an Island all by himself. I really, really liked him. I uh, felt he flipped his hips effortlessly. He could run. I uh, was a guy that just had a nice feel for the ball where good ball instincts. So it was good shadowing with the uh, the receivers and stuff. I really, really liked him a lot. Um, right after him, the Bears went with Brisker. Yeah, they double dipped on defense there in the second round. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a huge Brisker fan. I wrote about him for the Detroit Lions. Um, it was the like Penn State kid. I didn't really, um, you know, it's kind of you know, I'm on the fence about him. It could go either way. I just I, I just didn't like I didn't like how passive he was against the run at times at Penn State. Well, then let's talk uh, about a subject that I know you are familiar with. You, you mentioned the uh, Zach Wilson and uh, Trevor Lawrence class. What did mm -hmm. you think of our, uh, our guy, Justin Fields? He's my QB one. Let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah. I, I had him. I'm, I, so last year, I think a lot of Bears fans are pretty high on Fields going into the draft, but especially I thought he was – I mean, I, I had Trevor Lawrence at the top, but I, I thought Justin Fields was right there with him. And I thought people were crazy for having him as sometimes QB four or five in that class. 
but yeah, go, what, you, just you like feel free him? to elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot I like about Justin Fields. I mean, when I watched him at the Ohio State, I mean, just the way he was in the pocket, the way he, he navigated the pocket, I mean, he just strikes me as being just a brilliant young man, just a just a guy with laser-sharp focus downfield, almost too much focus at times because he took too many sacks I felt at Ohio State because he was so downfield focused. But I'd rather have that than the opposite. And he was just a guy that just – the way he can move, I mean, this is a true dual threat. This is a guy that has a, has a big arm. I mean, I went back and I looked at that Lions game last year on 10-3, and, I mean, he was laying those deep passes right right in the breadbasket, just boom, right there downfield. Uh, he's got a, a really good arm. And he's a guy that can run too, and he can bail out. I mean, he's got he runs well, a four four forty. He's a guy that can get you know he can get to the edge. He can turn the corner. He, he's a guy that, that almost reminds me RG three pre injury, where he can move around and he can make defenses adjust to him. And, and I love that about him. And I and I hated how Matt Nagy restricted him last year and, and how how they they just he just kept him in the pocket too much. I'm like he's not a pocket guy. You got to get him on the outside. You got to get him moving around. You got to get him with, with with routes that have break points. You got to let him throw the ball where there's bigger throwing windows downfield and and gets you know there's just so many things. I mean, with that running game that you guys had last year, I think 15th ranked overall in the NFL. I mean, I mean with with it just in the way that Justin Fields could run the play action and how, how convincing it is. I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you you know that that's so much opportunity there uh, for him. So I, I just I, I love his the way he is. It just seems so smart, like I said, in the pocket. He's a guy that just he just has a dynamic feel to him. I mean, when I saw that play against the Tennessee Titans in the preseason last year, I was like, wow, there's not too many guys in the NFL that can make that play. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, he, to, to me, the name that goes through my mind is Randall Cunningham when I watch him. Mm, nice. I really I like, I really like fields. I mean, he's so poised. He's, he's so alert in the pocket. He's just, he's a guy that, 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 that he stands tall. I mean, he's got some Houdini to him when it comes to evading the rush mm. inside the pocket. He's got that big playability, you know, as a scout is a, is a, is a guy who in the NFL, but he's like, Give me the guy that can has the big play capability, and I think that's Justin Fields. He's got the good arm. Uh, there's a, just a lot I like about him, and um, I was much higher on him than most people. But I mean, when I, when I the first the first two minutes that I wrote pre draft on uh, my my scout report and draft diamonds, and the first two minutes of watching Justin Fields at Ohio State, I knew he was dramatically better than Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, or Trey Lance. I mean, I just he just struck me. I was like, wow, this guy this guy's got something to him, and I was super disappointed to see how Matt. Nick you restricted him last year yeah well before we dive into some of the other quarterbacks there you know namely you you sent out a tweet that said if the Jets had Justin Fields they'd probably be a playoff team and I know you know just from reading just from reading your stuff you're not super high on Zach Wilson but before we dive into that um so the Bears uh you know they hired Packers old offensive coordinator Luke Getze or old quarterbacks was he quarterbacks coach? Yep. Yeah, quarterback coach. old quarterbacks coach Luke Getze, and uh, so it seems like the Bears are going to be shifting to like a more outside zone Shanahan type scheme. That should benefit Justin Fields a lot more this year, wouldn't you say? Uh, you know, almost wouldn't you say a, a perfect fit for his skill set, kind of the the outside zone play action type that the 49ers run and the Packers run with Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too that you know. 
as I talked about in one of my YouTube videos, that I feel the Bears can win the division this year if they do a few things with Fields. And and uh, one of those things too is that that the the, uh, the, the, the quarterback waggle play uh, I feel is there all day long, where you know you can go play action to that running back and drag the tight end across the middle, and Fields can either run or throw the tight end screen over the over the middle pass. I mean the short passing game. I mean that's Shanahan's system. I mean I charted Trey Lance extensively last year and Kyle Shanahan extensively last year, and uh, that that Shanahan system is either a run or a short pass 71% of the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's either to the short to intermediate levels of the field. I think fields excels a lot that, but I think, I mean, fields is, 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 is also give him, give him three, four, five, six shots deep a game. Just to loosen things up. He can hit those passes. It's going to come close enough. He's going to draw pass interferences. It's going to open up that run game even more underneath. And um, I think, yeah, absolutely, I think it'll be a heck of a lot better than what Matt Nagy was running last year. I, as soon as as soon as Fields got drafted by the Bears, I had, a, I had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I was like, this is not a good fit with Nagy. This is not going to be a good fit at all. No. And when I started to watch it unfold, it almost felt like Nagy was, was trying to, it's as weird as it sounds and maybe not to you guys but or to our listeners but it almost felt like he was setting him up to fail i mean it was just yeah. like come on i mean come on guys i mean i mean that's what i was saying to myself in my mind watching the film right i'm like come on every single i mean first down run second down run you box him into a third down situation where everybody knows he's going to throw the ball including the tv announcers and i think at least at least in those three games i, I did this last uh, this last week i looked at him against detroit tampa and minnesota and and those those three games half of his interceptions came on third down you know, it's like it's like the defense knew he was going to throw the ball, and so Nagy was boxing him into these situations, putting him in the tough situations, and keeping him in the pocket, which is not his game. Well, I know Joe Joe has a question here. I'll go to him in one second. But uh, yeah, I think every Bears fan kind of knew Matt Nagy was a dead man walking last year. But it's a it's almost a catch twenty two because it's like the Bears let Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have that extra year last year when everyone kind of knew they'd probably be fired if they didn't make the playoffs, but. If they weren't in that situation, does does Ryan pay some as panic trade up for a QB, or does he just let it play out, or, or a new GM? Do they just let it play out? So it's a catch twenty two. Like if had the Bears not kept Nagy that year, maybe they don't even have Justin Fields. So almost a blessing in disguise. We're just happy we have the guy on the roster, and uh, I think this year yeah. we'll probably see probably more of a Packers type offense than a Forty ers but a kind of a mix of both. Um, because I would say Fields does have that almost Aaron Rodgers like deep ball where he where he can kill you deep, unlike the Jimmy G's of the world that will mm-hmm. you know dink and dunk down the field and just do some dump offs to their running backs and tight ends and let them do the work. Um, so definitely really excited. Uh, Matt Eberflus has already raved about Justin Fields deep ball, so I know they're gonna let him uh, let it fly. So uh, Joe, cool. Joe, I will let you uh, ask your question there, sir. Well, Daniel, uh, while we're digging into some of your background, you talked about how a, a lot of the moves that you wanted the Jets to make uh, di- didn't really pan out. And, and uh, I want to get your aspect, uh, y- your thoughts on on how it works in the scouting department in, rela- in relation to the front office uh, and then kind of how it's tied into just the general, th- the general philosophy of a team. And the reason I ask that this is that we're seeing a lot. We saw a lot, seen a lot on Twitter, and a lot of Bears fans, a lot of just hearing, "Oh, we need to get a wide receiver. Oh, we got to get a wide receiver." Yeah, and then, "Oh, we got to get offensive line help. We got to get offensive line help." This, that, and the other, and all that sounds awesome and great. And then we see kind of how uh, Ryan Poles attacks the draft, and he was very, he was defensive focused with his first two picks, and then he got Bayless Jones.
well into many people were kind of questioning this, that, and the other. And then spent a lot of late draft capital on on the offensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just how, how I just want to get your insight on you know just. As a scout, you may think, oh, we have to go wide receiver, and this is the wide receiver to get, or we have to go offensive line, and this is the offensive lineman to get. Uh, just how that, uh, how, how the assets are kind of allotted, and how, you know, it, how there are many voices uh, within a franchise, within an organization that ultimately end up making that, having the decision come to fruition uh, on draft day or, or, or with personnel decisions. Absolutely, Joe. That's a great question. You know, it's 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 the, the the organization. I mean, at least I can speak from from the Jets' perspective. When I was there, is there was one voice in that building, and it was it was Bill Parcells. You know, and and so what happened is that from a scouting standpoint, all the scouts would, would gather the information, and they would work through the scouting meetings in the months leading up to the draft to establish the draft board itself and put the players on the board where they should be ranked. And and really, it comes down to the general manager, the powers to be, the head coach. Those are the guys or the individuals, I should say, that are, you know, uh, that are making those type of decisions as far as what our team needs are, how we're going to approach this, how we're going to attack this. The scouts basically are just there to provide the ingredients, provide the, the names of the players, um, you know, in, in, you know, make the highlight tapes, have everything on hand, you know, make sure everything's in place and, and, and just to kind of organize the whole setup for the guys in the individuals making the decisions if that makes sense and then when it comes time for draft day um you know it's like it's like you know i can tell you from experience at the jets when it, when i was in the war room with bill parcells and those guys and bill belichick was there and, and mike tannenbaum and pioli everybody sitting at the back table is that when it came you know you see the you know chris berman or whatever up on the screen and say well the new york jets are now on the clock and and i mean you can hear <laughs> you can hear a pin drop in our war room i mean it, 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 the place i mean if anyone even moved a paper, you'd, I mean, nobody even heard it. I mean, it was just like 15 minutes, you know, a phone would periodically ring, you know, my tan mom would pick it up and be like, you know, give a thumbs up, thumbs down, trade, no trade, you know, trade value, you'd be punching up the numbers and trade values and stuff. And, and then, you know, Parcells would walk out of the room and, and come back. And Chris Berman's like, well, the time is winding down. Let's see what the New York Jets are going to do. The commissioner's on his way up to the podium, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Parcells would walk back in the door and he would, uh, we'd have the big AT&T speakerphone set up in the middle of the room. And, Parcells, nobody knew what was going to happen, you know, and, and, and Parcells just kind of looked around the room and said, um, Dougie, you there? And uh, yes, coach, I'm there from, uh, from the draft. <laughs> he said, uh, <laughs> Randy Thomas, guard, uh, Mississippi, got it? He's like, uh, Randy Thomas, guard, got it, coach. And then you hear the commissioner and with the, uh, you know, and, and he goes into the pick and, and it's Randy Thomas. So, I mean, so, I mean, obviously in my situation, uh, you know, Parcells made all the decisions um, and uh, everybody else there was there kind of to gather information to be a support to him and make sure all the information was in place. Uh, because there's a lot of opinions. Everyone's got an opinion. There's a lot of people that think what the team needs are and everything. But uh, you know, it's like Bill Parcells used to say, everybody wants a big job in New York until they get it. Well, and that's a great answer. I just want to ask you uh, how 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 complicated that can get when, uh, especially with the situation that w- what we had with the Chicago Bears this year. You f- you hire a new general manager. There's not enough time to get your scouts in. You're relying on the old general manager scouts. Uh, we saw mm-hmm. kind of what happened after after the draft. Uh, mass a uh, pretty mass exodus of scouts, and and Ryan Poles kind of brought in some of his own guys. Does it get even more complicated when these are not the scouts that you've worked with and these are not oh, yeah. the front office that, you, that, that you've been basically building your board with? 
Absolutely, it does. It gets a lot more complicated at that point. Uh, you have to rely on the information you already have and the, and the sources and resources that you already have in place. And, um, you know, just, you know, like, like, like one of my buddies who was a, a scouting director for years in the NFL used to tell me, he says, hey, listen, Danny, you know, that's what he called me as Danny. Is that, uh, you know, he was about the only person besides my mother that was ever allowed to call me that. But, you know, he, uh, he said, uh, listen, Danny, he said, uh, he'd been in the NFL for 30, 40 years. He said, listen, he goes, uh, you know, about, about, 80% of every scouting staff of the National Football League is information gatherers. He goes, there's only really only about 20% of every staff that are true evaluators, you know, can really evaluate talent. The rest of the guys just kind of feed, you know, the information to who's making the decision. So, um, you know, so I'm sure that, you know, he probably, uh, the new GM there with you guys, probably leaned very heavily on the guys for information gathering and looked at the, the, the computer and see what the information is and then try to make the best decisions he possibly could from there. But he probably already knew from, from his own study, uh, prior to even getting the job or even being there, you know, kind of the players he liked and what he was looking at. It might, my, my, you know, my best guess would be that. Hmm. That's incredible. So when you hear about scouts bang the table for a guy or, you know, they, you know, were jumping up and down screaming at people to, uh, to take a certain guy, does that, does that really happen? Or what's the, what's the sell job kind of look like, you know, either pre-draft or in the war room with, uh, you know, guys that you're trying to, uh, trying to sell the team on or trying to tell them, Hey, you know, don't take Dorian booze. You know, it's a, it's a bad move. What's that look like? Well, it actually, uh, at the, at the jets, nobody, nobody was jumping out of their chair or saying anything until the later rounds, um, you know, when they're asked, uh, really, um, you know, that we're talking about undrafted free agents, that type of thing. Sure. Then, then scouts would jump out of the table and say, Hey, I really think we should sign this or that guy. But, uh, outside of that, uh, nobody at the jets said a word unless their name was called. Yeah, P Parcells probably didn't really take too kindly to that. So <laughs> no. I could, I could see no. Bill being no. like, "Nah, nah, no. Daniel no. Kelly, no. you're brand new here. You're good." Yeah, no, I, I, corner, I had kids. a few, I had a few moments. Uh, we probably don't have time for it tonight, but I had a few moments that were, were uh, it, it was a Snickers commercial, uh, and not going anywhere for a while. Moments uh, in the war room, and uh, I learned very quickly that uh, you might want to wait next time. Your name's called, you know. So. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. so yeah that's it's uh one one voice one voice uh ask sal palatonio about that uh you know from espn uh, he was kicked out of the building for about two years there and uh, bill was there so it's 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 one one voice wow but that's not that's the way it's every organization. Insane. Some organizations, yeah, some organizations are like, you know, they encourage that. And people are, you know, every team's different. Every team handles it differently and stuff. But, you know, everybody, uh, the scouts really uh, let, let their opinions be known, their passions, their convictions pre-draft. You know, so I, I you know, I, I would be, you know, it, when they call, you know, everyone's got a chance to talk and what they think and they'll watch the video and the tape and the guy and okay what does everybody think here and then some people agree and some people don't and the people that don't you know they, they, they you know it's not about being right it's about getting the guys right so everybody will chime in at that point during the meetings but uh when it comes time down to decision time it's like uh, okay guys this is what we're gonna do here right I want to hop back to to what you mentioned earlier you 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 had said i would going back to the bears here you had said that you think they could possibly win the division this year? Absolutely. What do you think is yeah. what do you think is their path to that? Because a lot of a lot of fans, and I mean me included, I would say the Bears didn't do a ton to improve their roster, but I think Justin Fields, Justin Fields taking another step, plus the schedule being somewhat easier this year, could lend itself to the Bears winning 
more games than people think. But I want to hear your thoughts, your thoughts on that there, Daniel. Yeah, absolutely, Lucas. You know, I, I came on this, this video on YouTube, and I put this out there, five things that the Bears need to do to win the FC North this year. And I think it's a very winnable division. I, I think that, the, you know, I think we're going to find out real fast that Green Bay doesn't have the, uh, you know, the same type of firepower they had when Devontae Adams was there. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, matter of fact, I think Romeo Dubs is probably going to be their, their best receiver on that group. Christian Watson's going to be a big disappointment to them. Uh, the Lions, uh, they don't have a backup quarterback, which nobody wants to listen about that. They got all these pieces is a puzzle they're trying to put into place but if something happens to jared goff sorry guys david blah and uh, tim boyle aren't going to get it done over there and the vikings um they got one word the most overrated overpaid player in the league kirk cousins they made all the rest of the <laughs> changes down there and they didn't change the quarterback position and of course they got uh, that's going to be an issue so I, I feel that you know uh you know with with, with fields i just feel that that, that if there is able like i talked about you know producing more of that quarterback waggle play you know be able to you know get get fields on the move that's the big thing about him get him on the move get defenses reacting to him if, if he's out there and he has a read either to run it or throw it is one thing uh, opening up that play action passing game i mean if i've ever seen an offense that's primed and ready for more you know play action fakes off that run game it's the chicago bears i mean they, they you guys got that um you know i think they just have to let you know fields does what he does best you know run around like i said and all also, I feel like it is they have to be able to design more more plays for Justin Fields to have break points in the routes because he's very good on like slants. He's, he's very good at like ins and outs and that type of thing is wherever he's got a larger throwing window he seems to be more comfortable with that so hopefully the offensive coordinator of the Bears picks up on that and puts some more of those plays in there like that and also just making things more unpredictable. Uh, you know, and then like we talked about earlier, not boxing, you know, uh, fields into a third down passing situation, but letting him pass on first down, uh, letting him do some of those type of things. I think it bears, I think that the division's there. I mean, I predicted, I'll come right on and say it. I mean, we talk about things we, I, I predicted right and things I predicted wrong. Uh, my, my Justin Fields, my, my uh, report that's out there on draft diamonds before the uh, draft in 2021, I said I felt like Fields could take the Bears to the playoffs last year even. I feel like he's that dynamic. And so now that they have things put in place that are a lot better, I think the Bears are going to sneak up and surprise a lot of people this year and uh, can make a lot of noise in that NFC North with Justin Fields. Yeah, I think most of the concerns surrounding the Bears is probably more so they their you know their lack of weapons. You know, they, they people say they didn't give Fields a, enough weapons this offseason. season. Uh, they're going into the season with Darnell Mooney as their number one receiver, and he he's a fine wide receiver. But some people might argue he, he's not a true number one. And you know, they signed Byron Pringle and drafted Valus Jones, so they have a few guys, but they don't have kind of that stud alpha number one receiver. And uh, there's a lot of question marks about their offensive line with some uh, younger players, second year players, and maybe even some rookies who will have to start immediately. And I think that's where most of the, I guess, national concern about the bears lies, which, um, you know, I, I think we just kind of kind of wait and see how it pans out before we can press the panic button. But I definitely see kind of where they're coming from in those regards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the concerns are there. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, we, 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 uh, as as a, as a fan base, we automatically assume by get, getting rid of Matt Nagy that oh, everybody's going to be coached better. Everybody's going to just be gonna, the organization is going to be run better. But we don't know that it's going to be a, fir- a first right. year a first year coach with Matt Eberflus and uh, and then obviously we've touched on Luke Getzey. Just 
all the unknowns, we just assume, oh, it's going to turn out great. What, what do you see? What, what do you know about Matt, Matt Eberflus? Or what do you see with some of the coaches that they've brought in that we think, okay, this can work? Obviously, we've touched on the system and we touched on the offensive side of the ball, uh, just being more conducive to Justin Fields' skill set. Uh, but we've got you know the younger offensive linemen, and Luke mentioned a lot of question marks with with the weapons. I personally think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, if they're all coached better, they're going to be better. Well, what, do you say, what, what do you say to that? I, I think that, that, that Iberflues is, is a very cerebral guy. I, I think he, and he, and he's a very intelligent person. Uh, he's somebody that, that schematically will put some things together that, that are going to surprise some people. I think I, I like his background and I think he's going to hire, he has hired a staff that that's going to kind of reflect that. And, uh, but you're right. There's always a transition stage when these guys come in. Um, you know, it really comes down to how authentic is his system? How authentic can he deliver the message? Because like my buddy that, that ran a scouting department for years in the NFL, you know, we got into these philosophical conversations that him and I, that, you know, about systems and, you know, the, is the West coast or is it the run and shoot or is it the 46 or is it, you know, you know, the wildcat or, you know, whatever it is. And as long as the system is authentic to the Bears coaching staff and they can sell it and they can communicate it and the players buy into it, uh, any system can win. And so that's going to be the key for the Chicago Bears is the buy-in. That's really the, what, what's going on right now. And uh, that will determine the success of the organization uh, going forward. Well, that's a great way to put it. I mean, you know, the big thing about Matt Eberflus is, uh, is his kind of hits philosophy, which he, he kind of stole from, uh, you know, Lovey Smith and, Rod, you know, Rod Marinelli and, and those types of coaches, the old Tampa too. Um, you know, he is a defensive guy at heart, but he kind of said he's going to embrace a CEO role uh, with the Bears. So um, he does have, you know, he does have a system that we'll see how it works out, whether NFL players buy into it, but he does seem like the type of guy that players want to play for and play hard for because he does these types of things and, and has these systems in place to hold guys accountable, make sure everyone's working hard, uh, et cetera. Um, so that's definitely some, some good insight there. Um, Chris or Joe, do you guys Thank have you. Uh, any other remaining questions no, for our fine guests awesome. here? No, Daniel, you've been fantastic, man. This is uh, Thank you. super Thank insightful. You. And uh, just uh, learned a lot today from you and, and your story is fantastic. Your tenacity and just, you know, reading your story about, you know, shipping out what 96 books to, to the NFL and, and just grinding it out that way and just forcing your way into the league was, uh, was, was pretty awesome. So it was great Thank to meet you. you, man. And, uh, and learning you. about your story. And I'd love to, you know, I just subscribed to your YouTube channel, checked out some of your stuff on draft Thank diamonds you. while we were chatting. Uh, Thank you. definitely going to follow your career, interact with you on Twitter more. Would love to have you, you back at some point in the future. Um, love so to be back. good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's whatever it takes book.com. You can find our friend Dan, uh, Daniel Kelly there, and you can find him at Daniel Kelly Book on the Twitter machine, and as well as uh, on, on YouTube and, uh, and and all your uh, all your other great outlets. So I want to encourage everybody to go check him out at whatever it takes book.com, and make, and uh, you can buy buy a copy of his book right here and, and, and read about his story. And uh, Daniel, man, 
super insightful and very interesting. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Oh, you're so welcome. Absolutely. You you can read all the comments from my 49ers fan base. <laughs> they love me. They love me. Matter of fact, Trey Lance blocked me. They all love me out there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. them week one this year. Week oh, one in Chicago, go. we'll see uh, – hopefully Trey Lance. So we'll see if – Trey Lance versus Justin Fields. Yeah, well, Daniel, yeah, yeah. we got a – we have – We'll, we'll probably have about three opportunities at least to have you back on. So we got the awesome. lines twice, obviously in division. And we also play the jets this year. So hey, um, we'll get some, we'll get some uh, Zach Wilson, uh, Justin Fields <laughs> banter back and forth here when that week comes. And I'm sure you'll be stoked to, uh, <laughs> to feel the flames there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for all your, or, for all your or, jets or, fans. Or, or. Or, or the Jets may go with the quarterback who I think is they should start, and that's Mike White. So I, I definitely Mike got White. a lot of followers out there too. So absolutely. But no, thank you so much. And and thank you, everybody, for listening tonight. And, and just remember one thing, if you don't remember anything else I say, is that, you know, my book and my story is not about, about me and how great it is and the journey I have. It's, it's about you. It's about your dream as well. Everybody has a dream. And just if you remember anything I say, remember that anything is possible and dreams can come true. So whatever your dream is, it can happen. If it can happen for me, I mean, listen, I, I, I played left bench in high school and I made it to the NFL. If I, if I, if I can do that, anything's possible. <laughs> awesome, no, that's a, awesome. it's, it's, it's such a relatable story, especially to me, Daniel. It really was. I mean, I was the, the same type of way in high school, uh, you know, be making scouting reports and watching the combine and my laptop under my desk. And, you know, me yeah. and my buddies would always joke that <laughs> one of us, one of us is going to be in the league one day. So, uh, you know, it's just hey. super, super awesome story. I could totally relate to it. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, get, get me in with the Chicago Bears and guess who, which, which guys are going to be sitting in the front row of those press conferences. Yes, sir. We like that. Right. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, guys. It's, it's, been, it's been awesome. It's been fun talking ball. I love it. But my wife's like, you've got to find more friends that like football. I don't want to hear about this all day. <laughs> I'm like, honey, I'm like, honey, I'm like, honey, 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 there's no way the Jets can go with George Fant and, 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 and coming off a knee surgery at left tackle and, and then go with Mikai Becton, who came up to 400 pounds. And she's like, stop, just stop. And I'm like, I'm like well, what do you want, don't you want to hear about the backups, honey? well you're more than you're more than welcome to join our show in every like so if you uh ever just want to talk talk some ball just shoot shoot me or one of the guys at dm will be more than happy to to have you on and uh we'll make sure to retweet all your content your book get all that out there especially thank you guys i I really really appreciate that absolutely and my and sometime i'll tell the funny story about walter payton when i talk to him as a kid sometime I'll, I'll i'll save that for next time there you go. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep that in the back pocket and make sure we have you back on so you can tell that. Sounds good. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you guys. Have a great show. And thank you so much for having me on and a chance to share my story with everybody tonight. Too much. Thanks, friend. Daniel. Take care. Thank you. Hey, take- well, that was awesome. Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. What? That was a riot. The, the story about the Vikings. God, how so do you fun. figure out their call and like, like <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what will motivate you uh hey i'm gonna mess with the vikings today <laughs> yeah right they, they would have a stupid password like a gm's birthday backwards though
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.